Podo. You're listening to Law and Disorder, a weekly podcast which aims to get to the heart of the big legal issues of the day. Welcome to this exceptional issue of Law and Disorder. We're making it in the light of the decision by the Court of Appeal today in the case of Shamima Begum, whereby her appeal against the order depriving of her citizenship was dismissed. Shamima Begum was born in London on the 25th of August 1999. Her parents were Bangladeshi and she had technical Bangladeshi citizenship until the age of 21, although in the circumstances of her case she would never have been allowed to have entered Bangladesh. On the 5th of December 2014 she travelled to Syria aged 15. She became a jihadi bride and had a number of children, all of whom died. On the 19th of February 2019, when she was 19 years old, the Secretary of State, the Home Secretary, made an order depriving her of her British citizenship on the ground that it was conducive to the public good to do so. That order was made under Section 40 of the British Nationality Act 1981. In making that decision, the Secretary of State had access to evidence from the Security Service, which stated that Miss Begum was a risk to national security. For this reason, both before SIAC, the Special Immigration Appeal Court, and the Court of Appeal, there were significant parts heard in camera where Ms. Begum's interests were represented by special advocates. The law states, it's section 40, subsection 4, that an order may not be made by the Secretary of State if he is satisfied that it would make a person stateless. Ms. Begum appealed against the decision depriving her of her citizenship. While her appeal was pending, she applied for permission to enter the United Kingdom so she could participate in her appeal. That was refused by the Home Secretary, and she challenged that decision by way of a separate appeal and judicial review. Her challenge was dismissed by SIAC, but her appeal was allowed by the Court of Appeal, but the Supreme Court overturned that decision of the Court of Appeal on the 26th of February 2021. By then, she had turned 21. She turned 21 on the 25th of August 2020, and she lost her technical Bangladeshi citizenship on that date for what it was worth. Her principal appeal proceeded in her absence before SIAC, and it was dismissed earlier this year on the 22nd of February 2023. SIAC was chaired by Mr Justice Jay, and they described the case of being of great concern and difficulty. She appealed to the Court of Appeal, which today dismissed her appeal in two judgments, one open judgment and one closed judgment. Extract from the closed judgments were provided, but it has to be said they're very difficult to follow because of the redactions. Now, the role of SIAC is appellate rather than supervisory, but an appeal will only be allowed by SIAC if the Secretary of State's decision was plainly wrong. That is well understood in legal terms what that means and needn't really be explained by us today in view of the pressure of time. SIAC nonetheless dismissed her appeal, and the appeal from SIAC to the Court of Appeal was dismissed today by the Lady Chief Justice and Lord Justice Bean and Lady Justice Whipple. And the grounds of appeal and their decision are known. Charlie, have you had a chance to consider the grounds of appeal and and the decision of the Court of Appeal? I've had a a chance to consider the judgment of the Court of Appeal, and it is a, a very, very extraordinary judgment. Before I comment on it, just one big, big point, and you've referred to this, 
there is material here that we haven't seen, that the court have seen. That material is material provided by the intelligence services. That material will presumably describe more of the history than we've seen and may well also go to the question of to what extent does she actually provide a risk to the British state and people living in the UK. So remember, in in considering this judgment, we haven't got as much material as the Court of Appeal. But in their open judgment, they did set out certain principles. And those principles don't, in my view, depend upon the material that's secret. I don't take issue with the process whereby the Court of Appeal looks at some material that is secret from the public because it might undermine national security. Some of that material won't even have been shown to Shamima Begum herself because to give it to her might well have been not conducive to the public good because she could have done something evil with it on one view. But she will have had the benefit of a special advocate who is somebody who does see the material doesn't give it to her, but then can make submissions to the court. But I just emphasise the point, we don't have the whole picture here. Having said that, it's really important to understand what the implications of this judgment are. Shamema Begum, who was born in 1999, and so was 25 years old, at the age of 19, was in effect turned into somebody who has no country to live in. Nobody disputes that Bangladesh won't have her, whatever her technical status there is, we now will not have her and will not have her back. Very, very few countries will ever have her. She is condemned to live for the rest of her life in the interstices of other countries, maybe in a refugee camp in Syria or somewhere else in the Middle East. It's an absolutely brutal decision that's been made as against her, but maybe it's justified. The power the Secretary of State has is to deprive somebody of citizenship if he thinks it's conducive to the public good. The court here wasn't determining whether what objectively was the right answer on that. It was deciding, did the Secretary of State properly apply the law? And the first ground of appeal that she advanced, which I think is very, very powerful, there is an arguable case that she was the victim of human trafficking. In other words, that she was tricked or oppressed into going into an ISIS area for the purpose of sexual exploitation. And what she argued before the Court of Appeal is, well, in considering whether it's conducive to the public good to ban me from being a British citizen, you've got to have regard to the fact that I might have been the victim of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. The Court of Appeal said, no, that's wrong. All that was found was that it was arguable that you had been the victim of human trafficking. And secondly, and separately, you were only human trafficked in 2014 or 2015 when you were 15, and the decision was made when you were 19, so there's no causal link between the human trafficking and what happened to you in 2019 in losing your citizenship. Mm -hmm. I find both those arguments very strange. First of all, I cannot believe that in considering whether or not you should take away somebody's citizenship, you would have to have regard to the question of whether or not what she did, which leads to that, was the consequence of human trafficking. And what's more, there was material which suggested there were failures of the British state to protect her, and the British state has an obligation to protect her from human trafficking that led to her going to ISIS territory in 2014 or 2015. 
I think the right answer is that the that the that the Secretary of State should have balanced the fact that she might be the victim of human trafficking, which the state should have prevented, against what danger she posed to the state. I don't think it's an answer to that to say, well, it was only arguable that she had been the victim yeah. of human trafficking. I think the Home Secretary, before he reached a final conclusion in 2019, should have reached a view in relation to that. They sought to get around that by saying, well, the submission, that's the written document made to him in making this decision, said, oh, well, all people who go to ISIS who are children, and she's a child, she's 15 when she goes, should be regarded as victims. And I don't think that's a satisfactory answer. The other thing they say is that it wouldn't have made any difference because the decision was made in 2019 to deprive her of her citizenship, and this happened in 2015. Well, I'm not sure that can be right, because if she had been the victim of human trafficking and the state had failed to protect her, that's something the Secretary of State had properly to be balanced. I mean, one of the things about this case that I, I think is um, it's so contradictory with so many of the things that we've learned in recent times. I mean, we know and we've learned about the whole business of grooming. And what happened, I mean, I've, do, I've done quite a number of, of these cases which involve jihadism, the ways in which, and particularly with the, um, the internet and social media um, being a mechanism for contact, young people were undoubtedly, and particularly girls, were groomed into the idea that they would be going to join a, the building of a new nation, and it would be an Islamic nation, and that they were this was going to be a great new enterprise, which would be wonderful, which would be for for uh, devout Muslims and so on. And if you're 14 or 15 and you're looking for romance and the idea that uh, the world is going to be a different kind of place where you are going to be cherished and treasured and you're going to be the beloved of some great uh, warrior to that end, you know, I mean, three of them went off together. And you, we know that um, uh, so often people can be a source of encouragement to each other. But undoubtedly, they were groomed online to go. And we know and we've con condemned the whole notion of grooming of particularly adolescents. And they went off via Turkey and then went into and in the routes that are that were set up for this and then traveled into Syria and were part of that uh, caliphate attempt that was being created. She had three babies and lost them all. This girl has gone through the most incredible trauma. Can I ask you about the second ground of appeal is statelessness while you're on the... While you're I mean, I've done cases where people have had their, their um, citizenship removed. I, it worries me that we're actually making this something that is more of a threat to our sort of, if you like, our new British uh, citizens, people who came here, emigrated here, often invited to do so. And this is their next generation. And because their parents, her parents uh, came from Bangladesh, she would have had a claim if she'd wanted to, to apply for a Bangladeshi passport and citizenship. But she never did and never has. And Bangladesh has made it clear that they don't want her because if she's a threat to Britain, she's a threat to national security, then they would consider her a threat to them. So she's not really, she's been made stateless. And that's the, the, the shameless unjust thing about all yeah, of Can this. I just make one point, Helena? Mm -hmm. According to the decision of the Court of Appeal, they were bound by an earlier decision of the Supreme Court that stateless in the law means what, and you'll, you'll explain what this means to uh, people listening, de jure statelessness, so technical statelessness. Yes. Whereas we know that she may have had been technically have a, had a claim to Bangladeshi statelessness, but it was completely meaningless. It was meaningless. It was meaningless because 
first of all, she was entitled to it. That was what they meant, was that de jure meant that she, in law, she was entitled to apply for Bangladeshi citizenship because of her parents. However, she never had done. She was British. She had been born here. She had lived here, gone to school here. And so I actually feel that she should be brought back here and put on trial here. And I feel that strongly about people who are British citizens. Um, they should be put on trial in our courts if there is evidence against them of having uh, committed crimes. And, and she went off and joined a, a terrorist organization. So she, she would be liable to come before our court. And for example, let me tell you, if she knew and she was living with a man who enslaved uh, Yazidi women, you may find that she's uh, been involved in even more grievous uh, crimes. But the point is, she should be brought back here. We should take responsibility for our own citizens who've gone abroad and, and, yes. uh, and joined terrorist organizations and put them on trial. And that's what Jonathan Hall, who's the independent uh, uh, reviewer of terrorist leg legislation, that is what he has recommended to government should be done with the Excellent. people who, like her, particularly the women and children, should be brought back here. And the parents, if they have been involved in uh, supporting a terrorist organization abroad, put on trial here. And that's what should happen. Charlie, can, we, can you look at the third ground of appeal and tell us a bit about that? The third ground of appeal was that she should have had a right to make representations before the decision was made, because what happened was the Secretary of State made the decision without hearing from her first. She was at the time in a Syrian refugee camp. And Syak said that she should have had that right. And they said it nevertheless doesn't get anywhere because it wouldn't, it wouldn't have made any difference, any representation that she made. The Court of Appeal, in fact, said she had no right to, to have such representations made before she was deprived of her citizenship. And they also agreed strongly with the with CEP that it wouldn't have made any difference. What do you think? I'm not sure. I think if you are gonna if you if, if you are gonna have a situation where you can deprive people of their citizenship because they are a, a significant threat, I think it will very much depend Listen, upon the circumstances. Is a, this is about national security trumping everything else. Trumping due process, tr trumping yeah. um, your entitlement to, to to have your citizenship recognised that you're really British, and the notion that you you know you should be stripped of that because you already have some um, offer or you could potentially become a Bangladeshi. We know that it's not real, and I've seen it being done also to Somalians and so on. It's, it's wrong. If people have been brought up in this country, born in this country, trying to get rid of them by virtue of the fact that they're the children of immigrants, think of what that means to immigrants in this country. It's creating a sort of status that isn't about full yes. citizenship. You've got a vulnerability attached to your citizenship becomes conditional. And I, I, I think that is, a, that is a shocking thing to be doing. Uh, it wouldn't happen in the United States. If you're given citizenship, you're a citizen. And if you commit crimes, you're put on trial. Can I ask you this rather deep question? Coming as I do as being a former judge in the family division, you both have probably read the book The Children Act by Ian McEwan, excellent book, which is about uh, where the court makes a decision to override the decision of a 17-year-old to refuse a blood transfusion because the law says that if you're under 18, the state will step in to make a decision in your best interest when you make a foolish and unwise decision because the court treats people under the age of 18 and particularly under the age of 16 as children. They are children and do not, for these purposes, have full capacity. I am very, very discomforted by the idea that this, this person, when age 15, did things which have had these cons these lifelong consequences, and she's been fixed with responsibility for these consequences when she was only 15. What, what do you say about that? I agree with that. 
I don't think it would necessarily in every single case be decisive against deprivation of citizenship if somebody genuinely was a dual citizen of our country mm. and another country. And by that, I mean the the appallingness of what may well have happened to her at 15 wouldn't in every case be an answer to an incredibly potent threat that somebody could pose to citizens of this country. And I think it's a balance for the Secretary of State to weigh in every individual case. But it seems to me it weighs very strongly against making a deprivation of citizenship order when it happened to somebody who was a child, when it was the consequence of the state maybe failing that child by not providing adequate protection. What the Act is doing is saying you've got to weigh these one factors. Of the, one of the things that, they, one of the, things that um, the court was clearly very mind, mindful of was that um, the law has placed this power of decision making in the hands of the Home Secretary. And they therefore were saying the Home Secretary here, we think, having had access to the, the intelligence information, we think that it was not an irrational or, or um, inappropriate decision for him to have made. Now, were they saying that that was the position at that time? I think that allowing someone to be able to put her case and to describe the life that she had and the circumstances in which she lost these babies and so on, three children all dying. Mm. You know, I mean, to what extent was she involved? One would want to know. And presumably what they're saying is we've got intelligence in relation to her that she's expressed views that have been, um, uh, you know, which suggest that she is totally radicalized. But it's like someone joining a cult. I mean, that's what this was. And she was groomed into coming into it. She was servicing some guy that she was um, then married off to. And then, as I understand it, he's now dead as well. And so here is this woman living in some camp, totally uh, uh, disconnected from family and so forth, and never going to be able to go back to the place from which she came. She, in fact, is one of us. It seems very likely there'll be an appeal to the Supreme Court. What do you think, Charlie, with the result of that would be? I mean, it's very, very difficult to tell. There's an underlying sense that she, as it were, public consent in relation to all of this would focus, and this is reflected to some extent in the Lady Chief Justice's judgment, it would focus exclusively on the national security aspect. Namely, is she a big threat? And once you come to the conclusion that she's a big threat, that sort of answers everything. And I think that is wrong. I think... She may well be a big threat. And if she's a big threat, we've got to take steps, including trying her in court for the terrible things she's done. But just like we take credit for our successes, we've also got to deal with those people who might pose a threat to the rest of the world. They're our problem and we've got to deal with it. The world's a much less safe place by just dumping people in refugee camps all over the world. That will make the world a less safe place. We've got to deal both with the threats that we cause and the benefits. A final word from you, Helena. I just wanted to say that um, I, I sit on the Joint Committee on Human Rights in um, in Parliament, and we've been conducting an inquiry, and we're still to report on it, so I, I, I can't uh, uh, reach the conclusions because I don't know what the rest of the of our committee will, will, will feel. But we have received evidence about the fact that Canada, the other Western countries, Germany have accepted back their own citizens who went off on this horrible, horrible foray of ISIS. 
and 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 have dealt with them and and through the courts and i think that we should be doing the same thing and we have had some some people just turned up at, at the borders and and they've and some of them have been arrested we've in this inquiry been looking at the ways in which britain has dealt with this particular problem and we're falling behind other countries i think that we we should be you know putting people on trial appropriately letting the public know what was involved and what our citizens were involved in abroad and and letting communities know i just feel that shamima begum is one person of a number that we should be looking at bringing back here putting on trial and letting the story of what happened out there be told and in some for some of these uh, young women they themselves i suspect um had rather abusive experiences and there should be lessons learned about the full horror of it yeah and that that point about what it was like the whole argument about whether there was human trafficking here was she was trafficked for sexual exploitation there are hints in the judgment of the experience that she went through and the intelligence services described it there's a bit in the judgment where the lady chief justice explicitly accepts that a decision rendered earlier by Ms Justice Hayden saying what could these people expect if they got to Syria because he he mm-hmm. prevents one of them going initially he describes what would be just a life of degradation and sexual exploitation and that's effectively okay. what the lady chief justice said well that has been a very interesting impromptu session that we have devised on this afternoon that the judgment was given in the Court of Appeal, and I think it has given us, and I hope our listeners, some food for thought. Normal service will be resumed tomorrow when we will be releasing one of our regular episodes about the law of libel. But thank you both for participating at such short notice. You've been listening to Law and Disorder with Helena Kennedy, Charlie Faulkner, and me, Nicholas Mostyn. The show is produced by Nick Hilton for Podo. Our theme music is by Anthony Willis. Please subscribe to get new episodes straight into your podcast app. We'd be delighted to know what you think of the podcast. So do please email us your thoughts on lawanddisorderfeedback at gmail.com. See you next week.